Good morning. You'll probably recognize this up here on the screen. If you don't, then you're at the wrong university. Okay. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We are, for those of you who don't know, the Great Commission University. Guided by the Great Commission of Christ Jesus and the Lutheran Confessions, we have the Great Commission Institute that puts on the Great Commission Showcase. And every year in June, we gather together and we celebrate the Great Commission Summit. So the Great Commission is fundamental to what we do, but it's also fundamental to who we are as a university. And I love this aspect about this university. It's one of the reasons why I left the mission field to come back here to the United States and to be a part of this university and to serve here. But let me suggest something this morning that I want to talk about. Could I suggest this morning that focusing our attention only on the last verses of Matthew could lead to a case of mission myopia? Could it be that we could focus so narrowly and so nearsightedly on these last verses in Matthew that we miss the bigger picture that they're a part of? This can be problematic for three reasons that I can think of this morning. There may be more reasons than that. See, one could see these verses in Matthew as simply an addendum to what Jesus was really about, you know, an appendix, an add-on. Okay, so Jesus is born, he lives, he dies, he rises, and then right before he ascends into heaven, he goes, oh yeah, he looks over his shoulder and says, by the way, don't forget to make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them all things. Is this the right way to view missions? Or secondly, the second reason, Matthew is full of imperatives, isn't it? Our mission is simply a matter of obedience to a command. It's curious that those last verses in Matthew were really not known as the Great Commission until about 200 years ago. A Baptist missionary named William Carey in England wrote a book that became very popular here in the United States as well as in Europe, and listen to the title of the book, An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Now, William Carey was a great missionary, and he wrote this book to raise support for what would become the world's first mission society. And he would spark a great mission revival in the, 19th, in the 18th and 19th centuries. But would it be helpful to have a wider view of missions than just obedience to a command? Or thirdly, it could seem, if it's misinterpreted, that Jesus is simply passing the baton on to us, right? He passes the baton and then he takes his leave. Sure, he'll be with us, he promises, but ultimately it's up to us to carry it out. It's up to us to accomplish this task. Ultimately, he takes off. And some would even say, the sooner we get it done, the sooner he'll come back, so let's get working. So, three misunderstandings. In other words, are we the Great Commission University because of this passage in Matthew? Or are we the Great Commission University because our very existence is focused on God's mission to save the entire world, accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, and carried out to the very ends of the earth by this same Jesus Christ, 
as he works through his body, the church. After a recent trip to the Grand Canyon with my kids and my my family, I came back rather frustrated. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Although we took plenty of photos, none of them were able to capture the marvelous, breathtaking landscape, the panoramic views, right, of the Grand Canyon. We came back and looked at these photos, and that's not at all like what it was like, right? The focused pictures we took could really only make sense in the wider context. And so this morning, I'd like to maybe help us try to correct any mission myopia that we might have and simply remind us, Simple reminder of the marvelous, breathtaking landscape of God's mission as it occurs in Scripture. Let's remind ourselves of the Christ-centered mission story of all of Scripture. We We might start at Matthew 28, if you can see that. Now, Matthew 28 is the end of the story of Matthew, so let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And we find that in this first verse of Matthew, he uses an expression that is used several times in the book of Genesis, Biblos Genesios in Greek. It seems by that, at least it seems to me, that Matthew is giving us an indication. He's trying to give us a hint that the story really doesn't start with Jesus' birth. It actually started a long, long time ago. So we actually have to go all the way back to Genesis. And you know how that begins, right? God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things and all creatures and all people were for him and to him. And all was good. But as you know, Adam and Eve rebelled. They fell into sin and they fell into misery. Shortly thereafter, we see the missionary heart of God. You see, it's a profound thought that God does not let Adam waller in his sin and misery But God seeks out Adam. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? We see the missionary heart in that verse alone. And then he sets out his saving plan in action. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And of course, this is the Proto-Evangelion, as theologians have come to call it. This is the first gospel promise. This was a promise of hope. It was a promise of a Savior. And Adam and Eve clung to that. It was hope in the midst of hopelessness. In fact, I'm convinced that Adam and Eve thought that one of their children would be the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. And when that didn't happen, they passed the story on to their children, who passed it on to their children. Each generation was convinced that the promise would be fulfilled, but the promise never came. And so it was passed on, and it was passed on. Now some, of course, let the story aside and were persuaded by other stories, but there were always a faithful few who kept the story in front of them. Then God, in his wisdom, decided to choose one man, one family, to whom he would especially entrust the promise. And his name would be Abraham. Will you read this with me? The Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We could consider this the great commission of the Old Testament. 
thousands of years before Matthew's Great Commission. In fact, we could call this the Great Commission University because of this passage, and maybe not because of Matthew 28. That would be interesting. You see, not only would the promise of a Savior be passed on through Abraham's family, but through his family, the promised Savior would come. It's important to realize here, as you look at the sheet of paper uh, that was handed out, that the scope of God's mission remains the entire world, but the means by which God accomplishes that begin to narrow down. Before it was all people, now it's Abraham and his family. And from Abraham's family will come a nation as promised. From him comes the people of Israel. But see, Israel was not chosen to be a blessing for itself, although they often mistakenly thought so. Israel was to be a blessing for the nations. And so let's read together this fabulous passage here from Exodus chapter 19. And we say together, You will be for me a treasured possession among all peoples, for indeed to me belongs the whole earth. But you, you will be for me a priestly kingdom, and a holy nation. This is a pivotal passage in the book of Exodus, but I think it's one of the most important passages in the entire Old Testament when it comes to understanding God's mission and Israel's role in that mission. Part of the reason Israel will be a treasured possession is because they will serve as Yahweh's priest, as Yahweh's representatives to the whole world. Not just to Israel, but all nations. Yes, they are God's people, but they are God's particular people because of God's universal mission. In other words, they are God's people on behalf of the whole world. You see, God commissioned Abraham so that God could be accomplishing his mission through Abraham. After all, that's what it means to be commissioned. And so it comes as no surprise when Isaiah tells us that it's really not about Israel. Israel is not simply for Israel's sake. It's too small a thing. God has a much greater purpose. And so he tells Israel, I'll make you a light to the Gentiles so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. My dear friends, this is 800 years before Matthew ever wrote his great commission. You see, our God is a great commission God long before there ever was a great commission, long before there ever was Matthew 28. But just like we are so sorely tempted to give up the story, Israel also forgot the story. Little by little, they set it aside, and they took up the stories of the nations around them. And when they left the story aside, they also put aside the promise and the hope that came with it. And so God sent faithful prophets all throughout Israel's history to bring them back, to remind them of their story and bring them back to that promise. They didn't always listen. And sometimes they killed those prophets. And so God sends them into exile, right? To a faraway land called Babylon. But he reserves a faithful remnant, a chosen few who guard the story and its promise. And so here we see that 
the means by which God is going to accomplish his mission begin to narrow even further to not just all of Israel, but a remnant within Israel. But even that remnant, and they often they got this wrong, even that remnant does not exist for its own sake. Yahweh exhorts them in Jeremiah 29.7 to seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And it seems they did so. It comes as no surprise that only a scant few years later, the pagan king, the mighty king of Babylon, confesses this. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. That's a shocking statement from a pagan king. And his conversion was brought about because of an exile named Daniel. See, God continues to work through that remnant. Skip ahead a few hundred years. And now we finally get to Matthew's story of a baby born in a manger. And the entire world, it seems, stands holding their breath in anticipation. All signs seem to point to him to being the promised Savior that we've been waiting for. But we're not quite sure until finally he dies and he rises again and he's victorious over Satan. He stomps on Satan's head. And finally, that promise in Genesis 3 is fulfilled. Now we might think, that the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, that fulfills the entire Old Testament. And yes, it does, but at the same time, Luke would kind of give an indication that maybe it doesn't. Let's read this together. Luke 24, 45 to 47. And we say together, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. It's curious here that Jesus opens their mind to understand the Old Testament, and then he tells them what the Old Testament is about. And he says that the Old Testament is basically about two things. First of all, Jesus' death and resurrection, but he doesn't stop there. You see, the Old Testament is also about the, re- the preaching of the repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. This is amazing here, my friends. This actually establishes, in my mind, a missional or missionary hermeneutic, a way of reading the Old Testament from a missionary perspective. Incredibly important. Not only can we find mission hints and mission verses here and there in the Old Testament, but it seems that Jesus is saying the whole Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, is about God's mission being accomplished, which includes the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the forgiveness that that death and resurrection resurrection earned for us. That's amazing. We shouldn't be surprised then at the way Luke views God's mission, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Look here, he starts off the book of Acts with this verse, 1 verse 1. In my former book, that is the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Why does he use the word begin? It seems to indicate that Luke viewed what happened in the first Gospel, that is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, 
as only the beginning. And what happens in the book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' work. And as we know, Acts is all about the spreading of that gospel. But who's at work when the gospel is proclaimed? Not primarily me, not primarily you, but primarily it's Jesus Christ. You know, they always call this book the Acts of the Apostles. I've often thought that we should change the title. I don't know if they'll let me, but if they did, I'd change it, Acts of Jesus Christ. It makes sense then that we find in several places these curious verses that speak of the word of the Lord all throughout the book of Acts, almost taking on a life of its own, right? It grows, it increases, it spreads like a living organic thing, like a person like, like Jesus Christ himself. No mission myopia here. Mission is not just an addendum. Jesus is still at work. Okay, this time through his church. Mission is not primarily about obedience to a command, but participation in the continuation of his divine work. And mission is not about passing the baton because Jesus is still the one at work. We don't have time, if you look at the sheet, we don't have time to go into all the New Testament verses where we see God's mission being carried out. Just Suffice it to say that the New Testament church and the first Christians had a major case of mission myopia. It was their very first challenge. And God had to do all sorts of things to get them over that mission myopia, including sending persecution and suffering that would drive them out until finally they began to announce the gospel to the nations. This is how it works. Okay, this is how God's mission works. This is what all of Scripture is about. God is always about His mission to save the world. He calls the people out of darkness and then he actively works through them. And that's extremely comforting and extremely assuring. I don't have time to talk about my time on the mission field, but I will admit that when we were in Africa, our first couple of years were pretty rough. We experienced a lot of sickness, extreme sicknesses, difficulties in language learning, just a lot of getting used to life in Africa. And it beat down on us. In 2001, my wife got sick with malaria. She was pregnant with our third child, and she was uh, forced to be evacuated. We had a lot of doubts at that time, and people in the United States were telling us to not go back out on the field. I realize now that if mission was simply an addendum, if if mission was really nothing but obedience, if mission was about Jesus just handing the baton to me, God forbid, Those thoughts would have driven me off the field, whether it be from Africa or whether it be from here in the United States. But having the privilege to participate in something as great as that, that's not only assuring and comforting, it's pretty darn exciting. And that's what it means to be the Great Commission University. Be a part of that. Will you pray with me? Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have always been and continue to be about saving the world. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise on behalf of the world, and he continues to be at work to bring salvation to the nations through us. Thank you, Lord. Now grant us that steadfastness and perseverance as he works through us to carry out his mission until one day, one day he'll come again, and the mission will be accomplished. Amen.